welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Jesus, we thank you that when two or three are gathered in your name, you are among us. Jesus, it is your name we build our lives. It is your name this church is built. It is your name, every agenda, every dominion, every power, every attachment, every addition has to bow its name to. Lord, I pray for anyone here that fills the tug of the Holy Spirit already. Lord, where we have been eating of the wrong substance, we've been eating of the wrong bread, We've been consuming the wrong things, ideas, how we are pioneering or building our lives, whatever that looks like. Jesus, these days leading up to your passion, to Holy Week, God, let us return to a deep place of repentance. Let us turn to a place of where we check our motives, Father, let us not be, as we talked of last week, the place of corruption is where you long to drive deep within us, to heal us from, to save us from, and to free us from. Yeshua, Jesus, we look to you today. We need you. You are our life source. We can do nothing without you. We don't want to do anything without you. So as we just lift our hands before we open up the Holy Scriptures, we ask that we yield ourselves to the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. We cling to Jesus this morning. We cling to our cross. We cling to his cross. And Lord, we thank you that it is the power unto salvation this morning. Wherever we need freedom from cycles and, and depression, wherever there is our strongholds, we thank you that when Jesus shows up, there is a crushing and there is a breaking of the strong man. So Lord, we thank you that he is here and he is moving and we are receptive and yielded to what he wants to say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Good morning. Thankful you're here. So good to see you. So thankful you're in the house of God this morning, that yes, spring is on the horizon, that you're not here by accident. And and we believe as we gather that it is intentional that we're going to become more like Jesus today, and we just can't take these things for granted. I think many of you who woke up, all of us poor AT&T customers, (laughs) we were reminded quickly this week just how there can be disruptions in our everyday life, Um, and how there are, you know, obviously not speculating, but in a a um, post-pandemic pandemic pandemic world, there are agendas much bigger than all of us, and if you're not discerning and hearing of the voice of God, uh, we want to be a prepared people, and uh, men, if you're not a part of our men's group text, we are talking everything prepping, everything um, of how we're to be prepared, that we not be out of line, and we be aware of what's happening. And again, it's, you've got to take these little moments, you've got to take these little things, and you've got to go and, and say, okay, Holy Spirit, um, let me, um, you know, all the statistics will show that this generation is the least prepared generation for anything. Most of us, we don't even have money when we drive up to the Starbucks line, and we're just hoping that someone's paying for it in front of us. <laughs> and you ain't, you ain't passing it on either. You're not paying for the car behind you. <laughs> I feel bad for anybody who pays for ours. It's like 30 bucks because my kids are getting cake pops, all right? And I'll gladly pay for the, for the pike roast, the tall pike roast behind me. But um, 
just understand that we live in a season of time as we want you to be prepared. And um, everything from physically, but yes, spiritually as well. And preparedness is a mindset. Um, and you've got to acquire that mindset to be thinking differently and not just believe what you're told all the time. I think if we understand anything, and Jesus teaches us this even in our Christian faith, is we've got to search the scriptures. Now, you just don't believe what a pastor tells tells you what a teacher tells you, but go and search it out for yourself. Uh, in Acts, it says, be a good Berean and, and search the scriptures. So this morning, uh, understand that, um, you know, we're, we're going to give you things throughout the week to keep you prepared and to get you prepared. Um, and we're going to be sending things out and, and all of those things. You can't cram everything and anything in a Sunday morning. Um, but the, the culture of our church, if you want to say that, um, the direction of our church is we want you to be prepared spiritually. Be like the sons of Issachar. They understood the signs of the times. Um, many of us, we, just, we choose to live in la-la land on a lot of different topics. We think ignorance is bliss, and it is not. What you don't know can and will hurt you. And we don't have the availability, we don't have the luxury to stay ignorant of the scriptures or of what is taking place. But thankfully, I pray that there are good shepherds all over America rising up to speak the truth. And there's something powerful that happens when the fear of man leaves you. It's, it's open season. And as we talked of last week, there is such, in the church, it's to please, it's to get you to come back, and by all means, we'll do that to fill up seats. But let's let the truth do that. Let's let the opening of the scriptures um, in the way where if we were to put our church in the middle of the scriptures, would Jesus even recognize it? That's how I pastor. If I put my life in the middle of the scriptures, would there be any family resemblance? Would I look like my father? And this is what the purpose of our life is, to look more like our father and to become like him. Um, so today... Last week, we looked of, of uh, Jesus cleansing the temple. We're in a series called The King of Glory, and we're looking at all things leading up to his passion, um, the great passion narratives, the great gospels um, of what we see, um, really the intensity leading up to the life of Jesus. And today, I believe this is such a a pastoral message, but also a message that looks deeply into the timeline and timetable of Jesus and his passion. And it's not just some historical thing I'm giving you today, but understand that what we're going to learn today, and, and pray that this is deeper revelation for many of us, is that when we understand that Jesus is our true bread, he is our true substance, he is what we are to feast on and what we are to eat on, it will it will revitalize your marriage, if you're doing this correctly. It will revitalize your relationships. It will make your heart beat again for the things of God. It will rightly order your life. It will give you a daily rhythm and routine that when, the enemy, when you wake up and your feet hit the ground, the enemy already takes off running because you are fed and filled and full. Many of us, when we wake up to, to take on anything, we are so depleted. We are so on our, our, our wick is so trimmed short, and we have nothing to give anybody. And when Jesus teaches us this, he speaks into a bankrupt culture, spiritually. Uh, he speaks into a people that are looking for something to fulfill them and to satisfy them, and he sets it straight. He doesn't back off. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, move a foot from this truth of how he is the true bread. So we're ready to eat on Jesus today and feast on him today. I pray you get this deep in your spirit because this is what is going to help you last through anything. This is what is going to sustain you when all hell comes against you. Because you don't prepare in the moment of the crisis. When the pain hits you, it's already too late. But it's usually the pain that gets you to do something. But then you're scattered. Let's Let's be prepared now, and let's be feeding on Jesus so when anything and everything comes, personally, in our country, whatever it is, there's already a place that's established there. You already have these 
disciplines in place of, of Jesus being first and supreme. Because um, when we sing that, he's over every dominion and every power, every stronghold. We love to sing that, but let's make it real personal real quick. And is he really over every dominion in your life, over every stronghold in your life? We've said this before that many of us with some of the deepest addictions and tendencies and mindsets we have that we can't seem to get over the threshold with, we say things like, well, when I die, that's when I'll be free. And if that's your mindset, we might not say it, but we think it, then what you're saying is death is your savior, Jesus is not. So I believe that there is a freedom, and the scriptures teach this, and there is a power that is available to you right here and right now. And the way Jesus teaches, he just doesn't wave his hand over you and you get every heavenly blessing under the sun into your life. I wish it was that easy. But he takes you along a journey and a process and he teaches you just as you have to eat daily bread every day. When you eat of me, these things will become a reality in your life. But many of us, we want to show up to church and just gorge ourselves, And then hopefully that lasts us till next week. But what you're about to get is if he's your bread every day, And you're going to be filled and fueled and ready to handle what he has and what we've got to walk through. All right, so let's turn to Matthew um, 26, verse 20. We'll look there, and then we're going to go to John chapter 6, where Jesus teaches that he's the bread. And as you're turning there, Dylan, put up Luke 22, 27. Because in this passion narrative around the Last Supper, we have the washing of feet, and I love this because this speaks of who Jesus is to us today, who he was to his disciples then. Look at the last part of verse 27 here. You look up on the screen. It says that, yet I am among you as the one who serves. Aren't you thankful that our King, our Lord, Jesus is among us serving us? But he's the one who serves us. And he longs to serve us. He wants to serve us. It is not a chore. It is not a duty for him to serve you. The way he wants you to see him is he is among you. He's in your home. He's in your family. He's in your marriage. He's in your workplace. And wherever you are, there he is, and he wants to serve you. So when we know he wants to serve us, don't we want to throw the entirety of our lives back and serve this great king, this great God, who just doesn't say he serves us, but he laid his life down. He took the cross, not as a victim, but a victor, and showed us the place that he would go to serve us. This is what he would be teaching his disciples. And so in understanding that Jesus is the embodiment of incarnate humility, you've gotta see that as as we praise the lamb, we're saying we're praising the humble one, the lowly one, That Jesus, as John said, behold, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But we know in our world today that lowliness, humility is never exalted. You're seen as weak and feeble, but understand that Jesus was meek uh, in the Beatitudes. He teaches us on meekness, and meekness is not weakness. Meekness is, is having power, but it is so under control. How many of the people we know in our lives, when they have a place of authority, it's usually abused, it's not bridled in? Maybe they have a lot of money and they abuse that money, or maybe they have a lot of position and platform and it's abused. But meekness is a place of where Jesus had, was in so control of all of his members that it was able to serve where he didn't serve himself. And understand this as we head toward Easter, as we head toward the passion, is that as we pursue a life of self-denial, which is a cross-focused life, it's not empty, vain self-denial, but it's saying, I am denying myself of this because I am turning toward another. I'm putting away here so I can turn toward him over here. We want to take everything with us and want Jesus to bless it. We want to take everything with us and say there's still enough room for him to be there. And this just isn't the case. And so there's got to be a rhythm and a routine as we eat of this bread is there's a shedding and a a leaving behind of lesser bread. 
And this is what he's going to teach his disciples. But as we look here in verse 20, it says this, When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. It says, Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Imagine for a moment, this is Jesus's, one of his final hours. This is a celebratory meal around the Passover. And as there is a celebratory meal here, in Matthew 26, verse 22, we see what we just read, is it's so pressing on him that he brings up, yes, we're celebrating, but there's also gonna be a betrayal here. And so this was weighty, weighty on him. And we see a part of Jesus' humanity here where it just wasn't like, oh, I'm Jesus and I know I'm gonna be betrayed, so let's just move past that. No, he, he brings it out for a specific reason. And in verse 22, it says, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Saying, surely it's, it's not me. Questioning, okay, there's a betrayer among us. Let's, let's fish him out here, right? And it says, he answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him. This is important. We're going to look at that. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. This is, this is deep. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said to him, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, he gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the, that day when I drink it, uh, drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And with that they sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives." If you look in Luke's account, going back to verse 20, verse 21, it says that Jesus was eager. He could not wait to sit and dine with them. And take this for you today, is Jesus is eager to sit and dine with you, to fellowship with you. He, he loves this, this is who he is. Uh, he just doesn't wanna merely teach you, he wants to sit with you and have a meal with you. This is, this is a whole different understanding of kind of what we limit Jesus to. And so as we see this taking place, Jesus talking of the betrayal, um, I love it because we even see his yieldedness here, where he says in, um, that it is written of me. And when he says it is written of me, this is a reminder as we go back to our series, Cultivating a Love for the Scripture, is that Jesus, even in what is about to be his darkest hour, is still fully yielded to the Father's will and what the Father has written of him in the scriptures. So do you even see here that Jesus is completely yielded to what was written of him? And this, even more so, if Jesus is yielded to what the scripture writes of him, how much more should we be yielded to what the scriptures teach us? This is, I mean, this is just amazing. And so Jesus is is showing that there's prophetic implications here, right? This is, this is prophesied that there would be betrayal in Isaiah thousands of years ago. Um, but what we're about to see as well is there is such great forbearance, long-suffering, that Jesus, as the scripture say, longs that no man should perish, that he, he fights for Judas, the one who would betray him till the end, that if there's some way he can get a hold of this, if there's some way that in this communal meal, in this supper, that even Judas could be saved. Aren't you thankful that Jesus even loves the Judases in our lives? No one is too far gone. We're gonna even see this in, in John chapter six. And if you think, uh, there's, if there's parts of your life that you feel you've gotta hide from him, you're completely missing it because those are the parts he wants you to just lay out and let him touch and heal and, and bring his divine instruments of love and grace and mercy into those parts of your life, into those parts you've covered and hid. 
And so at this supper, which should be a place of celebration, now there's all this bantering, okay, Lord, is it I? Will I betray you? And they're all kind of freaking out because surely none of them would betray him. They've walked with him. You need to notice about Judas too is he was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry. And is there would be, what would be the main motive of Judas's betrayal would be that of greed. Um, a, a deep look into the life of Judas too, you would even see that Jesus would be aware that there was embezzlement going on in the lifetime of Jesus' ministry. But Jesus, Judas didn't all of a sudden just decide to do this, but greed was creeping in. There was embezzlement happening. There was fraud happening. But Jesus still was letting Judas walk with him. Think about the forbearance and long-suffering of Jesus there. But he knew what Judas was doing, but he cared about his soul even that much more. So we see is Jesus is going to stay to what is written of him. And this is what we've got to see about Jesus as well. Of when it gets to Judas in verse 25, he asks this question. He says, Rabbi, is it I? And then he said to him, what did Jesus say? You have said it. Understand that Jesus did not accuse Judas. And when you think here sometimes of why wasn't Jesus just more direct? Judas, you're betraying me. Get out of here. Go do what you got to do. But look how he even leads Judas to this place of him saying, Rabbi, is it I? And he says, you have said it. You, you're, you are your own accuser right now. Because Jesus never accuses. Think of that. So we understand that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So even in this, Satan can even lie through asking a question. This is how crafty he can be. But Jesus catches it, turns it back on him, says, well, you're accusing yourself. I'm even still loving you till the very end that you can be changed, forgiven. You can still make a different decision here. Says, then he took the cup, gave thanks for it. So Judas was still served communion here. And you can go and read it in other gospel accounts of the Last Supper. Um, but what you'll see through this, as Judas took communion, it says this, that as he took the elements, as his hand was in the dish, it says that, um, that in that moment, Satan entered him. And this is what we've got to be careful of in how we serve Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, of when we're serving him with wrong agendas, when we're serving him with a, a bends and attachments of trying to get something from him. Again, Jesus was all the way to the place, I'm still going to serve you communion, and if you will take of this of a right heart, if you will repent right here, the story could be different. But it was in that moment, he took of an unworthy manner, he took in a place of where he had agendas, he had greed, and it was in that moment the scripture says that Satan entered him. This is why we've gotta be so careful to think that we can just get by with however we feel about things. We don't wanna be bidding and doing the work of Satan thinking we're doing the work of Christ. Again, this is where it's so important in this, this season, this feast, this time of the church, um, that we move in a place of repentance in a deep way, and we just say, Lord, check every part of me. Check every motive, it all matters. And that we just don't, we're not just nonchalant about how we serve the Lord, walk with the Lord. And even as you're in here right now, as you're hearing the preaching of God's word, if at some point you need to close your eyes and just check yourself, you're not allowed to fall asleep. But there should be a part of how this exchange happens when the scripture is opened is, oh, I feel that. Yep, that's coming to the surface. Lord, touch that. Because this is a very safe place for that to happen. This is where it should happen. And healing is happening in the realm of this hour and a half we have together as the scriptures are open. We see two things revealed here as well. We see two substances Jesus reveals himself in. It's the bread and it's the wine. 
we know a lot about the wine, the blood. We plead the blood, we pray the blood, we know the benefits of the blood. But I think we can miss the importance of the bread. And we'll take a time in this calendar year to look at the blood. Today I wanna look specifically at the bread. When you think of how Jesus reveals himself as bread, in the Last Supper, he's using these elements for a reason. The reason he uses the bread because it is the most available substance known to man. It's kind of the universal language of sustenance, of nourishment, every culture, every generation understands what bread is. And so Jesus is telling us and revealing himself through the bread and through the blood or the wine is that he is this accessible and he is this available. But what we're gonna see is just because he's the bread doesn't mean we just sit like this and he puts bread in, in our hands. We have to pursue him, we have to go after him, we have to partake of him. And many of us, we just sit like this saying, okay, where's my bread, where's my stuff? Lord, how am I gonna make it through? I know you can, you can do it, and he can, but we've gotta understand the partnership that we have with him in this. And so as we look at the bread, um, and as we look at the power of in his last moments, again, this is so important, in a very sermon-driven environment of how we understand church. We see the scriptures here. We see the pastor preaching here. And we think that Jesus wants to uh, merely be known just through pen and paper, just through study of him. When he is telling us through the Last Supper, he wants to be known at a deeper place, not just in a classroom and someone teaching you, but at a table and us partaking of him. You see how much deeper this goes? That mere study of Jesus is just not enough. But it's sitting with him. It's the bread being edible and the wine being drinkable that there is, there is a depth to this of how we know Jesus and how we commune with him. Well, let's look at Revelation 3.20 because this speaks to this of how are we to receive Jesus? How do we receive him? says this, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Come on, this is your heart. He's knocking at your heart. Aren't you thankful? He's knocked at your heart, and he's still knocking at your heart. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that's important, you gotta open the door, I will come to him, and I will what? I will dine with him, and he with me. He doesn't say I'll come to him, and let's get in the classroom and learn. He says, no, I'm gonna come and, and I'm gonna sit with you. I'm gonna invite you to the table. We're gonna break bread and you're gonna see a much deeper place that I'm just not some good teacher, but I am your very life source. And this relationship we have with Jesus, again, we've gotta get out of more of a Western understanding of it's all about what I've learned and what I know. Not this deep union, communion, and experience that we're to have with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this through your flesh, by the way. It only can be done through the Spirit. And so this reception, again, Jesus says, behold, he's saying, wake up, come on. You gotta get this. Behold is strong language, it's enthusiastic. You gotta get this, wake up. I'm standing and I am at this door and I am knocking. That's how close he is. Many of us, we just don't ever open the door. But the reason is a lot of us, we can't hear it. We're way too busy with everything else that that knock sounds very faint. But that's how close he is. So he's at the door of our heart. The invitation is there. He's as accessible as bread is accessible. And there's this meal, this feast um, that he longs for us to have with him. You can even read this in Psalms 23, connect this into the Passion narrative, where it says that he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. Think about the Last Supper. Here's an enemy, Judas, at his table. The uh, Pharisee and the chief priests want him dead. That in the middle of, of this great passion that he eagerly could not wait for because he knew that this would heal the world of its sin save the world of its sin. 
That is, the psalm says in Psalms 23 that he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. Understand this too. For those of you that have enemies and betrayers or you've walked through these things, is that there is an anointing that is only available when there is, you are at a table and there is enemies around you. You see a side of God that you've never seen before. And you've got to understand this and you've got to know this about Jesus is that nothing, no stone is left unturned. That he's available even in your darkest hour, even in your moments of betrayal, even when every enemy is surrounding you, every circumstance surrounds you, there is still provision in the presence of that. This goes from a place of I'm just a happy Christian to know I'm a joyful Christian and my joy is not uh, circumstantial. My joy goes through anything and everything because he's with me through it. When you think of two, when the, the amazing scripture in Acts where Peter would literally walk and his shadow would touch sick and lame and uh, people and then his very shadow, the healing presence of Jesus would come forth and people would be healed. It wasn't just Peter's shadow, but there was a greater shadow casted over Peter. And so this is what you've got to know, that by the Spirit, there is always a greater shadow, there's a greater substance, and when we're feasting on him, he's present, and it's through him the power comes forth. We've got to be careful that we don't put a scalpel to Jesus and say, I want his healing, I want his grace, and I want his mercy. You can't put a scalpel to him. You take all of Jesus, and as a byproduct, you begin then to experience and walk and understand those things. Oh, I just want authority. I want his authority. That's great, but that's one dimension. You can't cut him and chop him up in pieces and just want some of these things and just live right there and forsake all of who Jesus is. Right? You just can't, as my kids we do, we've got this little crustable cutter in the morning. Lord, help us, we're cutting our kids' crust. I never thought I'd be that parent. You can't just cut the crust and take the, the crustable because it's easier to, to chew, right? But this is just what we do as people. We take the easy pill to swallow. And there's so much of who Jesus is, again, that mere study you can't get, but you've got to sit at the table and dine with him. Pray for us. It is, Brie loves it. All right, Jesus is the true bread. Turn to John chapter six. Jesus goes on a spree, and uh, this, is, this is where you're going to be amazed of this bread. John 6, 26. So Jesus answered them, and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Jesus just multiplied the bread and loaves prior in this chapter. So what he's telling them, he's like, okay, you're not seeking me by the Spirit. You're seeking me because you saw I can give you something. I can do something for you. And this is where we've got to be careful when we think Jesus can do something or he has done something, so that's what keeps us coming back to him. Jesus is always rebuking that and pushing that back. And what's wild, what we're gonna read too, is even that sign of the feeding of the 5,000 still wasn't good enough. They're still asking for another sign. Don't we do this? Jesus blesses us, then we get in a tough place again and we never know how we're gonna get back out of it because God's just so far away. I mean, we're, we're so quick to forget. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes. Come on, this is good. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Understand this, this is not a reason that we don't get a job, right? <laughs> we can labor for both. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal, the Holy Spirit, on him. Then they said to him, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Again, you're going to see manipulation creep in here. Is okay, Jesus, we just heard you talking about bread. Let's get off that. Get us to the power of how we can work the miracles like you do. That's really what we want to talk about here. 
but Jesus doesn't, isn't phased by it and keeps moving forward. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Again, we've got to understand believing isn't you just doing this. I mean, many of us, I believe, I agree. And then I stop there. If you get into the Greek, believing is throwing the entirety of your being upon something or someone. In other words, it's clinging to the Son of God, it's clinging to Jesus at all costs. When you believe, all of your life follows that way, not just, I have an aha moment, and Jesus is cool, Jesus is real, Jesus is my friend. Belief penetrates every part of who you are. Change your life, it changes your thinking, it changes your heart, changes what you do with your hands, everything. When you believe, everything should begin to change. It doesn't change all at once, but you are invited into a work that everything will change, that we stop laboring for what the world labors for, food that perishes, and now we start laboring for things that endure. You're wanting your marriage to endure. You're wanting your relationships to endure. You're wanting some lifestyle to endure, but you're not pursuing the one who endures. This is, this is where this exchange happens. Verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform? So again, they're asking for another sign. <laughs> they're just not getting it. That we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Come on, Jesus, dance for me. That's what they're wanting. And then Jesus gives them the scripture, the Old Testament. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You can underline this in circle verse 33. This is powerful. For the bread of God is he who, what? Came down? He comes down. You see how available he still is? He's still coming down. He just didn't come down way back then, biblical history, awesome. He's coming down. Even right now, he's coming down. He's here and present. He's came down and he's coming down. And you'll see in different places, he came down, he comes down. It's all true. This is so important. And this is just amazing that this bread isn't something so far off or some words we read on a page, but it is life available to us here and now. And are we eating of it? Are we partaking of it? You see, this is where we don't, I wrote this down, we don't want the thrust and purpose, the fuel and the ambition of our life to be bent toward perishable things. This is the check of what's corruptible. What is your bend? Is it toward perishable things or is it toward the bread that endures through anything and everything in and out of season in every walk and every place? Then he said to him, verse 34, uh, yeah, Lord, give us this bread. This sounds great. We want it now. We're, We're starting to get it here. And then Jesus said to them, well, It's not something physical and tangible I'm giving to you here, but he's saying you're looking at this bread. And Jesus said to them that I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Say amen. Amen. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. What we see here, when we are eating of this bread, there are no dry spells of the spirit for the sons and daughters of God. When you are eating of this bread, you don't have to pray for revival. Because it says here, here is the bread. He comes down every day, is accessible whenever you need it. Three times a day, if you got to. Some of us need that baby bread. But he says, you won't hunger and you won't thirst. 
again, how much do we walk this life so parched, thirst, uns- thirsty, unsatisfied, and just hungry all the time, and trying to put this relationship, this sexual encounter, this touch, this feel, this vibe, to fill a place that only Jesus can. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Again, he even brings the manna. And when he mentions the manna, He's bringing this together that just as God fed his people every day with fresh manna, they couldn't keep the manna from the day before. So this shows us that you've got to go after the bread every day. You can't take yesterday's word. You can't take last week's sermon. You can't take what you learned over here. You've got to stay pursuing him and going for bread every day. You can build upon things. Don't get me wrong. But again, it's the posture of the heart. It's not pen and paper, mere study of Jesus. It is sitting and dining with Jesus is what he's after. You know, when you look at even um, of what the word manna means, it is, it is a, an excitement and a surprise. If you, you know, you look at, you just simply Google what does manna mean. There's a joyous excitement that, oh my goodness, God's provided. That that's how your posture should be when I wake up. Oh my goodness, thank you God for manna. Thank you God for this bread. That provision is here. But many of us, when God provides, yeah, yeah, I want milk and honey, I don't want manna. Many of us, we settle or we have a wrong mindset and where God's saying, I'm giving you manna today. I'm giving what you need today, but you're missing it because you're looking for God to bless you somewhere else, just like the Jews were here. Okay, God, work a sign for us. That, I get this spread thing, but you gotta work a sign for us. If you're in a place of crisis in your life, you want God to just get you out of it when he's saying, well, here's the bread. You gotta start eating it. You gotta take it day by day, week by week, moment by moment, because what you're gonna learn in the process is gonna actually build character in you. It's gonna build strength in you, sustenance in you, It's amazing. So Jesus says, I am this bread. The bread isn't just a part of who he is, it's exactly who he is. It's all of who he is. And so as you get into um, verse 40 through 48, for lack of time, you'll really see this debate again. They go back and forth. Um, They complain. They do all the, the things that we see as familiar. But as you pick up in um, verse 49, you can skip down to there. It says, your fathers ate the manna, talking to the man again, in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Come on, we all know John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him won't perish. Understand when we eat of this bread, we don't perish, right? We don't, our bodies become, we leave our bodies, but our spirits are incorruptible. That there's a non-decaying, a non-perishable element and substance when we eat of this bread. It's powerful. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead, but this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Amen. Again, he keeps giving. John six thirty three. he comes down. Again, there should be no dry spells. We're the ones that put ourselves in the dry spell. If you got a dry spell, it's, be, God, it's not because he's way off. He's saying, no, I'm coming down. I'm here. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What is this? Again, they can't see this through the eyes of the Spirit. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's a very strong words. 
These are crowd-thinning statements Jesus is making here. You're about to see. We touched on this last week. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Oh, abiding is so important. And I in him. As the, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Do you see the importance of this relationship we have with him? This dining, this communing, this feasting, this feeding, this abiding. You see the importance of a life source. You've got to be plugged into him. You've got to be close to him. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna again and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. So these were close, those that were close to him said, this is a hard saying. Those that walked with Jesus, saw him walked on water, saw him do amazing miracles. They said, this is hard. We don't know what to do with this. We can't understand it. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? We're about to see Jesus takes leadership a lot differently than we do. Okay, this offends you. What then if you should see the Son of Man as ascended where he was before? It is the Spirit, see this please, understand this, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. What you have to see here is you can read the word, but if you don't read it with the Spirit, it will profit you nothing. You can take communion, but if you don't take it with the Spirit, it will profit you nothing. Jesus is present in the word. Jesus is present in the communion. Jesus is present in your marriage. These are holy, divine institutions that he created and that he made, that he instituted. Wherever he is present, if it's not done in the spirit, you are doing it in the flesh and it will profit you nothing. Try living in your flesh in your marriage for a month and tell me how your marriage is going. Jesus, again, is the one who serves. If you wanna be like Jesus and when you eat of that bread, you are going to look more like a servant. You're not just going to serve, we're going to look at this in a minute, but you will actually begin to embody and become a servant. You just don't serve, this is different, and I think this is where we miss it, and again, when we're not eating of this bread, we're only getting about 50% of it. We're, we're living in a place of where it's not sustainable and it's not enduring because we're just nibbling at it. We're not going for it. And so Jesus is, is laying it on thick and he doesn't waver from this truth. Thank you, Jesus, that he, he doesn't pander, that he doesn't get mealy-mouthed. He doesn't get fearful of what someone would think. He says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, amen. Every word that he speaks are spirit and they are life for us. But there are some of you who don't want to believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless he has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, look at this, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Again, a very crowd-thinning statement what you're gonna see is most people don't eat the bread. Most people, when they see what it means to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus said it's a narrow path. And my goal is, my heart as your pastor, as I've said time and time again, I want to comfort the afflicted. If you're hurting, you're gonna get comforted. But then we're gonna afflict the comfortable. If you're lazy, lethargic, you're not going after bread, you need to get afflicted a little bit. You need to get shucking up a little bit. It is a narrow path. And if the church is resorted to a place of we're kicking Bibles on Sundays to get you in the church, can we call ourselves church? These are my thoughts. They walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, 
hey, you're my closest. Do you also want to walk away? This is a good time to go. The door's open. I mean, this is just, this is Jesus. He would walk all alone, staying obedient to his father's will, even if no one went with him. He actually did, because Peter would betray him. Where would all of his disciples be? In the garden, they're sleeping, when he's sweating blood. If you've been betrayed, you study Jesus, and you will learn a lot. But Simon Peter answered him, isn't this Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know you that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? Spicy. (laughs) And again, this is where we see Judas again mentioned. 71, I don't know if you have it back there. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So are you seeing the importance of this bread? Are you seeing the importance of we just don't nibble on the bread, we just don't take yesterday's bread, but we take the bread in its entirety and how it's prepared. We don't go and try to change it and make it into something that's more edible. He's saying, I am readily available but it says when you sit at the table, you still have to take and eat of the bread. You have to receive it. So my heart and my prayer is that we're a church who wants to receive this bread. We don't reject it. We don't do it in the flesh. We don't have agendas and motives as Judas did. I'm full of greed, so now when I take it, it actually backfires, and now I'm full of Satan. Flip over to John 13. This is Jesus washing feet. Thank God he just doesn't get us, but he saves us. Amen. All right, verse two, actually. And supper ended. The devil having already put in the heart of Judas Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. We're gonna close here. So Jesus is saying, I know all things. All things have been placed into my hands. I'm all powerful. I'm all you know, knowing, omniscient, omnipresent. Jesus is God embodied in the flesh. We know this. But look what the hands of Jesus go to grab. He knows all things. He is all things. He fills all things. But what does he go to grab? Let's see. He rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel, girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash what? The disciples' feet. The Son of God, who could grab and go for anything, goes to grab the dirty feet of his disciples. Do you see how humble and how loving Jesus says, again, that he is incarnate humility. When we speak of the lamb, it's because he embodies this lowly place that doesn't, when he comes for God so loved the world that he sees and embodies and is love, and he comes into any person, any environment, and he doesn't accuse you, but he goes for the feet. And I'm gonna wash you, I'm gonna love you. Okay, yes, I get you, but it goes much further than that. I'm now going to save you and heal you and you're gonna walk out of that depression. You're gonna walk out of that anxiety. You're gonna walk out of that homosexuality. You're gonna walk out of that lifestyle that is not pleasing, that hurts you. I love you enough to give you the truth to now you're gonna walk in to become this new creation. But I love you enough to meet you right where you're at and you need to be washed first. And then we're gonna get you eating the bread. He just doesn't get us, but he prepares a table in front of us and says, now this is, this is your new diet. How many of you know as Christians, we need a new diet? We don't eat like the world eats. So this is important too. Did you see in Dylan put verse four back up? 
He rose from supper, laid aside his garments. So he's laying aside. You've known me as teacher. You've known me as rabbi. You've known me as healer. You've known me of all these things. But now the time is coming. That garment, that authority in one sense is coming off. And I'm about to put a new garment on. So this garment comes off. And he takes a towel and he girded himself. It's just showing that it just isn't a mere towel, but it's around him. It's girded around him. He girds himself, and then he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Understand this about Jesus. When the girding of a new garment, the girding of the towel, is he just doesn't say, I want to serve you. He's saying, I have girded myself and that I am the servant. I'm just not the one who serves. I am servanthood embodied. And many of us, we don't gird ourselves in servanthood. We just kind of uh, serve. Where Jesus is saying this has to go so much deeper. When you become like him, you gird yourself in this posture. You gird yourself in this humility. I love that you want to serve in church. I love that you want to serve people. But can you check yourself? Have you girded yourself? Are you a real servant or do you just serve? Jesus cuts to the heart here and says, there has to be a girding. This is a lifestyle. This is who you are. You just don't serve to get by. And you can fool people for a long time, but you don't fool him. Many of us, our marriages are not girded and serving. We've got to be girded in this, and Jesus models this. Then he came to Simon, Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus said to him, what am I doing? You do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to them, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. What Jesus is teaching here is, yes, you will be washed in the blood. You will be washed in in this death, burial, and resurrection, this passion that's coming. You will be made clean and new. But understand this, that we still go out into a dirty, contaminated world. We are clean in one sense, but what our feet touch on a daily basis is not clean. And so guess what? The, as the Lord comes down in John 6, this is why it's so important that we need cleaning every day of our life. And many of us, our feet have not been cleaned in years. And we wonder why we look more like the world than we do like him. You're saved, yes, great. But do you come and sit with him and let him clean your feet every day because you need it? And if you haven't turned the news on lately, the world is very dark. From the schoolroom to the courtroom, you can't step into any environment and not get the toxicity on you. You've got to let him clean you. And as we said, as we opened up, he is the one who serves. You are not overburdening him because your feet haven't been cleaned in 10 years. He's saying, okay, I'm still gonna bend down and clean them. I'm just glad that you came to me. He doesn't reject you. You go back and you read in John 6 and look closer. He never casts anyone away who comes looking for bread. He receives them and sits with them and dines with them. But are you even looking for it? Or do you just want him to plop manna in your lap? Because if you don't look for it, then you're not going to appreciate it. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Isn't this a beautiful posture of Peter? He says, Lord, if you're going to clean my feet, please clean my head and my hands. This is a sign of repentance because when we repent, we just don't, it's just not lip service, but it's with our head, it's with our heart, and it is with our hands. Peter wants to be clean before the Lord and he's picking up what Jesus is pulling from him saying, I sense this purity. I sense this place. Clean me. I'm tired of being so mentally in anguish. I'm tired of being in this place of my addiction getting the best of me. I'm tired of repeating the cycles. 
clean me. Do we cry out for the cleaning of God anymore? Do we just get by? Does he just get us, but we never allow him to actually clean us? Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he washed their feet, taking his garments, and he sat down, and he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, you are Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. So Jesus is saying, as I wash you, what true evangelism looks like, you then go into a dirty, toxic, contaminated world. You go into a world that is far from God, that rejects God. You go into the parts of your life that are rejecting God, that are corrupting. And you say, I need the washing of the word. I need the washing of the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the spirit, not of the flesh, because if I'm filled with the flesh, there will be no profit. I need to eat of this eternal bread, this enduring bread, not bread that leaves me hungry tomorrow. What I'm telling you today, whatever you were going through, there is life-giving bread that has come down to you today, and will you take it? And this is the call of the church in every season, in every hour, on every Sunday. Will you take the bread and eat it? And some of us, we just need a repositioning. We need a changing of our thinking. And we need to say, Holy Spirit, teach me this and draw me to the feet of Jesus. Because it's at his feet as we sing. That's where we find ourselves. That's where we find who we are. As you take your communion and stand with me. Let's do it in a posture of saying, I'm hungry in this place in my life. Wherever the craving, wherever the appetite, wherever your stomach is growling spiritually. A lot of our stomachs are still growling. Pastor preaches too long, I get it. I love you though. And aren't you getting something today? I pray you are. But understand, as we approach Holy Communion, that this is receptivity of us receiving him. That this is the point where we say, I'm getting it wrong in this area. I'm tired of hungering. I'm tired of thirsting. And when these elements touch your tongue, think of yourself as a dying person in that part of your life and true substance and sustenance. Think of a person who hasn't eaten in days, is so malnourished, but then they get water, they get substance, and life begins to flow again. You've got to see yourself as this dying person. You've got to starve those places of your flesh, and as you take of the Spirit, as you take of His body and blood, you're feeding on the right kind of bread. You're becoming like Jesus. You're being satisfied in him. You're being content. You're not having to look to the left or to the right. You're not putting your spouse as Jesus, but you're saying, no, my spouse is a fallen human being. We need Jesus to intervene. We need Jesus to touch. We need Jesus to do. You're not putting your kids on this place of, I'm so needy for them or I need their attention, I need their affection, I need their, uh, their affirmation to feel like I'm doing good. No, that's found in him. I'm telling you, wherever you have distort, been distorted and disordered, maybe it's your relationship with money like it was with Judas and greed has gripped your heart and you are laboring for bread that will perish and not laboring for the bread that endures to eternal life. I don't know where the shift needs to take place, but as we take of his body and blood, I believe it will 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and something supernatural can happen within you that the change can start today. So Jesus, we repent of sin. Holy Spirit, we never want to grieve you. We never want to walk away from you. We thank you that you come as close just as Christ did to Judas. He still offered his body and blood even to the point of then Satan filled him. Satan took him over. And he said, go do what you gotta do. Lord, we thank you that you come close to our brokenness. You were not turned off by our scum. You were not turned off by the toxicity that is in us or around us. But you say, get here and let me clean you and give you real life-giving bread. It's time to put that diet away. It's time to put that aside. It's in this place too, hear this, that anything you've added to Jesus, any mixture, any additives, when you eat of the bread, this is where you actually find real freedom. This is where you get victory over the cycles of sin. So Lord, as we eat of this bread, this is a holy moment where you have come down again in our midst. You have offered yourself freely. As we take of this, we thank you that it is life-giving. So we take of the body. It says that he was broken for us. We take his body, we break it. It's a sign and symbol. Lord, we thank you as we take of your body, we take of this bread, that we will never hunger and we will never thirst that this is where all of life is found in Jesus, the true bread of life we take of his body. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel Stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.